You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. when they. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 73. Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 10, verses 32 through chapter 11, verse 9. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. After discussing the flood last week, We continue in Genesis today and find the descendants of Noah in their nations and with one language. And we then read about the building of a city and a a grand tower, at which point uh, the Lord intervenes. Father, what causes God to act in this passage, and, and what was his purpose? And part of the reason I ask this is because one of my thoughts in reading this was, Uh, Would not building a tower uh, to the heavens be an admirable, uh, maybe even a pious thing to do? Yeah, good question, Jason, and I'm glad you bring it up because it really gets into a discussion of a main biblical theme, one that we should give importance to most especially during this Lenten season. So a couple of things to highlight, and I'll begin with a commandment that God gave at the beginning to Adam and Eve and then reiterated with Noah and his sons when they left the ark for the dry land. And what is that commandment? In Genesis 1.28, God has created man, male and female, and then the text says God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So this is the first command that God gives, and of note here, related to our story and our discussion today, is this command to fill the earth. And by this, what God is telling them is to spread out on the earth. You don't congregate all together in one place, living on top of one another, but go out and fill the earth, spread out upon it. And then this command is once again reiterated in Genesis 9:1 to Noah and his sons. And this is important because, as we noted last week, there are some things that were new after the flood, like the eating of animals. But the command that God gives Noah and his sons in Genesis 9-1 is the same command that he gave in Genesis 1-28. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So it seems like you're saying that one of the problems when we get to this story of the Tower of Babel is that 
people were congregating in one place versus spreading out on the earth as the Lord had commanded. Is that right? Yeah, that's definitely the case. But it goes further than that. It's not just that they congregated. I mean, to a certain extent, especially now with 8 billion people on the planet, we have to do that to some degree or another. So the real problem was not just that they had congregated, but why they congregated. It wasn't as though they gathered together just out of necessity as though there were no choice, but they did this, as the text says, so they could, quote, make a name for themselves. And then immediately they say, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which of course is what God had commanded. So to sum this up, they are recognizing by that second statement that they are actively and directly trying to circumvent God's will, and they are doing so to make a name for themselves. In other words, to be considered great on this earth, and that is totally contradictory to God's will, who desires that we be humble, for he alone is great. Interesting. I see how this makes sense uh, from the Bible, and so I'm, I'm definitely not arguing that point. But I guess my question would be, how are we then to understand this today? Uh, how are we to put this teaching into practice? And, and what do we make of this as people, uh, at least many of us who live in cities, most of us who live in the United States, uh, which is considered a great nation, perhaps the most powerful nation ever? Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good questions. And these questions I think we need to grapple with if we're to live scriptural lives. And it kind of leads into the second main point I wanted to highlight from today's reading. So if you don't mind, Jason, I'll get back to your practical questions at the end because they're extremely important, and I do want to cover them. Sure, sure. So uh, what else did you want to say about today's reading, Father? Well, we see in today's reading and throughout Scripture that God generally opposes cities and buildings. It's a consistent overarching theme in Scripture. And therefore, I don't understand why some Christians are so hesitant to recognize this or sometimes even fight against it. Because in the New Testament with Jesus and then, of course, after Jesus with the apostles, you have the complete destruction, the complete elimination of the temple, of buildings and and so forth. And you're left with Christ's body, which is the church, and we together are the temple of God wherever two or three come together in his name. But in any case, as I said, God is opposed to cities and buildings for a couple of reasons. First, in the ancient world, we need to understand that cities serve not only as a place of commerce, but also as a place of protection. So actually, I remember visiting the ancient city of Bethsaida, and there, like back in the Iron Age I'm talking about, you had city walls. And inside the city walls is where the rulers lived and where business was conducted. But outside the wall, at that time, is actually where most of the people lived. Now, if the city came under attack, you were allowed to come into the city for protection, but of course only if you had paid up on your taxes. So you see it creates this notion that the king or the ruler or the city walls, that's your protector and not God. Now, later people started to have larger cities. Most of the people lived within the walls. And like before that, like I mentioned Bethsaida, you had major walls surrounding the city for protection. And so you have this notion that the walls of the city protect you. But in the Bible, it's different. God gives his people his law not in the city, not when they had already arrived in Canaan, where they're protected by the walls, but rather God gives the law out in the wilderness, out in the open, where there's nothing to protect the people but God himself and his law. 
And the protection, of course, is not a temporal protection, but we have to put our trust in God that he will protect us in eternity if we do his will. So this is why you might say that the Bible is anti-city. Okay, so uh, what about the buildings then? Yeah, the Bible is also anti-building because look at what people do with the buildings. They do what they did at the Tower of Babel. That is to say, they build buildings to glorify themselves, to make a name for themselves, to impress one another, other people, to show how great they've become. And you can see this in America, most especially in that incredible city of New York. And anyone who's been there or flown in there or even seen pictures, it's obviously impressive. But this, of course, leads to human ego, which is opposed to God. And then furthermore, we humans get attached to buildings. We start getting attached to the building itself. Think about our homes. We, we get attached to our homes, to our churches, and so forth. And so we can begin to idolize these buildings. And just think about how you'd feel if your home were to burn down, you know, God forbid. I mean, what a nightmare to deal with on a practical level. So we would hope that would never happen. But what about even from an emotional level? You know, even assuming everyone in the family is safe, we have to ask, would we just shrug it off and say it's no big deal? We have insurance. We can build another home. At least we still have our family safe and intact. Or would we mourn for the loss of the building itself? Most likely, we would also mourn that to a degree. And I'm not saying that's abnormal, but what I am saying is that ideally, again, ideally, We would not care about these things or be attached to worldly things. They would be entirely practical. You have to live somewhere, but we would not be attached to them. We would not start to idolize them. We would not build them to make a name for ourselves. Thank you for sharing that, Father. And I can see how you already started to deal with some of the practical side of things, how it is necessary for us to have some types of buildings for our survival, but how we shouldn't come to idolize them. So perhaps to conclude the episode, we can go back to the questions that we delayed earlier about living in cities or in great nations. Mm -hmm. How should we understand this today? How do we practically live this out? Do we all move out of town, or (laughs) what's the best way to understand it? Right. Yeah, interesting and stimulating questions. So when we talk about the Bible, what's so interesting to me, especially on this topic, is that it's clearly, the Bible's clearly a massive work, and it's a scholarly work. It's not like it was put together by people who were illiterate or who didn't have good resources at their disposal. And okay, to put together a massive text like this at any time, even now, but let alone when it was written and compiled, meant that the people would have had to have been city dwellers. They had to have resources. Okay, I'm with you. So why do you bring that up? Well, because despite them having these resources and living in some type of civilization and city, they still clearly magnified the superiority of the shepherd life. They realized the limitations and the temptations that we humans face when we live in cities. And so I share all this background to say that I don't think the essence of the Bible is to tell us all to flee the city. There's a certain ideal to that if we can do it, perhaps. That's essentially what monks and nuns do in our tradition. But for most of us, we rely in one form or another on cities as the bedrock of civilization, as the basis of commerce, as an opportunity for us to be able to have a decent earthly life. And I really don't think there's a problem with that, but what the Bible is doing, in my opinion, is that it's challenging us. It's challenging us to see that, yes, these things can be good for us, but they should never be idolized. We should never idolize the city, because in the end, the city won't save us. 
Only God will save us if we follow his commandments to live at peace with our neighbors, to share with those in need, to live humbly. The Bible isn't trying to tell every last one of us to flee the city, but to learn to live simply and humbly, to not worry about showing off or making a name for ourselves by becoming glamorous and glorious in this life. No, the Bible is telling us that our salvation comes from putting our hope and our trust in God and in following His will for our lives. To view others not as our enemies, as we often do with city rivalries in sports and in business, or as we often do with foreign countries. Viewing them as our enemies, which allows politicians to stoke fears and drum up wars. Rather, to view others as our brothers and sisters, as our fellow sojourners on earth, who all in the end will be seated before the one God and Father of us all on that final day of judgment. Thank you, Father. Today we continued our discussion from Genesis last week and picked up a few chapters later with the story of the Tower of Babel. Father Aaron began with a reminder of the first command that God gave to Adam and Eve and later reiterates with Noah and his sons, which was to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. In other words, God is telling them to spread out, not to congregate all together in one place. But the real problem with this lies not in the congregation of people itself, but the reason why they congregated. And we read that this occurred because the people wanted to make a name for themselves. And so they actively attempted to circumvent God's will in an effort to be considered great on this earth rather than to follow the will of God, which is to become humble. We then focused on the teaching throughout Scripture that God generally opposes cities and buildings. For the cities, this opposition stems from the fact that our protection is provided by the city walls rather than God. And for buildings, again, we see this desire for humanity to glorify themselves. But this ultimately leads us to place our focus on the ego, which is in direct opposition to God. And we can even come to idolize our buildings, whether it be a grand skyscraper in New York or our churches or our homes. But in the end, our cities and our buildings will not save us. For only God will save us if we follow his commands to live at peace with our neighbor, to share with those in need, and to live as his humble servants. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God and our hope, glory to thee.